Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello, everyone. Charles Marshall and Bill Padalo back with you. This day, August 29th, 2019. And today we're going to be discussing the interface between Fannie Mae and MERS and a recent deposition that uh, Bill Padalo is associated with. He'll be able to break some of that down for you. And we've got some other threads to discuss related to that. It's really kind of of extraordinary in some ways uh, where so many pleadings and so many oppositions to what we put forward, the borrowers, whether it's in a non-judicial or a judicial environment, so many pleadings from their side are claiming the assignment connection in one way or another between MERS and Fannie Mae, whereas we treat it as non-operative for a number of reasons. And the interesting thing about this deposition Bill will be telling listeners about is that it's basically saying there's no agency relationship. So that's that's certainly worth talking about. And uh, Bill, welcome. Always great to be with you on the show, and uh, go ahead and take it away. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Charles. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is uh, another yeah, head-scratcher, but it doesn't come as any surprise. Uh, 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 Bill, before, um, yeah. I was going to uh, – yeah, I wanted to say my, my piece for Neil. And by the way, uh, listeners should know – I'm sure they do know there's a hurricane off the coast of Florida, and uh, Neil is more in northern Florida, Uh this hurricane is set to arrive into middle central Florida over the weekend, potentially Monday. So uh, a prayer out for, uh, for Neil, uh, from myself certainly, and I think Bill joins me in that. And any listeners among you who want to uh, do your own, Good wishes to Neil. I'm sure he will appreciate it. Um, and as always, uh, today this show is brought to you by GTC Honors, Living Lies, and LendingLies.com. And it's made possible because of donations from the listeners to this show. And any amount that any listener is able to donate is appreciated. And you can donate directly on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. You'll find a donate button. 
right there. So, yes, Bill, uh, go ahead and uh, tell the listeners all about this crazy quilt situation between MERS and Fannie Mae. Okay, well, for uh, many of you out there who have gone up against Fannie Mae or you had some sort of belief that Fannie Mae owned your loan at some point in time in the chain of title, um, you're probably uh, very familiar with the fact that it's hard to get uh, any formal information about the transactions involving the GSEs, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie uh, Mac. They uh, make it a policy, which I'm uh, now, as you dig in uh, to uh, the facts and circumstances of these cases, to uh, make it their policy and procedure to really uh, obfuscate and hide their presence in any chain of title. And um, and in this particular case where this admission comes out by Fannie Mae, it's a situation, It's a it was a non-judicial foreclosure. Uh, Fannie Mae was always suspected as, as having purchased and owned this loan way back years ago. However, the parties who conducted the, the sale and carried it out denied Fannie Mae involvement. Fannie Mae itself, uh, in, in direct communications, uh, would deny their involvement, so on and so forth. However, small bits of information would leak out, as they usually do, because these parties can't seem to, uh, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing oftentimes, and they trip themselves up and give conflicting evidence. And so what it led to is uh, some hard discovery and drilling down into uh, why Fannie Mae's fingerprints suddenly appeared on this uh, chain of title and to get to the bottom of their uh, knowledge and communications and so on and so forth with MERS. And in doing so and trying to get very specific about this relationship, Fannie Mae comes back with an amazing response that no such documents exist, and they and they even say they've never existed between MERS and Fannie Mae, showing any agency relationship between Fannie and MERS. Now, that to me, you know made my head spin right there because uh, clearly Fannie Mae. You run their uh, member number, for example, in the MERS member system. They show up uh, everywhere in MERS membership, in Fannie Mae's policies and procedures. They talk about how how they're conducting business with MERS and so on and so forth. So this really uh, is sort of a fact pattern that, that comes from not only Fannie Mae, from others now when you box them in and you're going for this discovery – they simply just deny everything and say we have no agency uh, with uh, like you know in this other discovery we've talked about in a couple of previous shows recently where like MERS for example is now admitting we have no agency with any of these depositors or any of these parties and and it's just it's quite uh, amazing here now that we're starting to get all these admissions and denials of any connection between any of these parties but. I think the question that maybe you can address here a little bit, Charles, is that for so many of these cases where people have been going up against Fannie Mae and they're having assignments and all these things in the in the paperwork of, of Fannie Mae's involvement with MERS, at what point do you take an admission like this and and say, listen, enough's enough, this, this, this should fall under either judicial estoppel of some sort where 
if you've made this admission here, you simply cannot take a counter position in another case to, to your benefit. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. And it does fall under uh, the general principle of judicial estoppel. And, you know, where we often see that in this type of mortgage litigation is in the bankruptcy arena where, let's say, there's a non-judicial foreclosure suit filed. Let's say it was filed in 2015, 2017. Now, if that borrower back as far back as, let's say, 2011 or 2010, literally years ago, if they had a bankruptcy and they happened to have that same loan, even though it's under dispute now, they happened to have that same loan at the time, which, of course, many of, of uh, the litigants do in this arena, uh, because their loans go back to the mortgage meltdown of 2008 and 9, bleeding into 10 and beyond. So let's say there was a bankruptcy discharge 7 in 2010, 11, 12. If they didn't list that lawsuit that they're in years later, literally, let's say again 2015, 17, their failure to list that as a dispute back then, the 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 principle of judicial estoppel, I think, is misapplied in those cases because the principle is supposed to say uh, that where you took an inconsistent position in one legal proceeding in a bankruptcy uh, is a legal proceeding. It is uh, basically a legal 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 case, uh, and there are competing players in it. You've got the trustee on one side, and you've got the court adjudicating rights between the trustee and the debtor. And then you've got intervening creditors who are often trying to push their interests, especially in realtor, real estate mortgage situations like you see with these cases here. So you add that all up. Uh, our our uh, litigants are often slammed with this judicial estoppel accusation where because they failed to list as even a possible cause of action a potential lawsuit many years ago in a bankruptcy petition, oh, that means they're taking an inconsistent position. And what can be frustrating is that courts will often accept that argument. Now, what litigants could do uh, consistent with that principle is they could cite as here, if, if there's another case where uh, the borrower, let's say, let's say this case, you know, possibly it's derailed in some way, but the borrower ends up suing two or three years later when there wasn't a final resolution. In the new case, they could certainly take up the fact that an important uh, kind of element of the case at issue because, of course, our side is typically trying to show either a broken chain of assignment or even a complete lack of agency relationship between uh, two principal parties to the case. Here, uh, MERS, you know, which is the inevitable and the, the forever stand-in in a lot of these cases, that the institutional lenders, including Fannie Mae for that matter, um, they are they they use they use MERS to get around the reporting statutes often, 
and also to basically conceal cannabis-sided breaks and other problems with the provenance of the loan. And that's something that uh, Bill has some good in, input as well. But the bottom line for uh, for listeners, with judicial estoppel, you can take an admission from a previous legal proceeding. That can be an admission, ideally, that's under penalty of perjury. Now, all bankruptcy documents are always under penalty of perjury, so that's how you get it in there. But you can have a declaration from a previous lawsuit, and it could be maybe a, a lawsuit about the same matter. The bottom line, you have to be talking about roughly the same parties and roughly the same legal issues. You can't be saying, well, you know, in a completely different case and a completely different uh, concerning a completely different property, Fannie Mae and MERS uh, represented that they had no agency relationship in discovery or in, or in a deposition, etc. Uh, that's not going to go anywhere. I mean, it, it, it's, it provides some evidence that the same situation might apply in the current case, but it really by itself, that's not going to get you traction. But where you can show that some other legal proceeding where you have the same parties there, yes, you, you could use that. But anyway, Bill, so why don't you go into further about how uh, not just Fannie Mae, but other so-called lenders use this MERS game to to essentially uh, to circumvent their recording statutes, which we've discussed on the show a number of times, also hide the the chain of assignment on the loan. Well, yeah, I mean everybody's pretty well familiar with why MERS exists and who created MERS, and uh, and it's it's very useful. Uh, purpose, and that's just to hide, you know, all these transfers and ownership behind the scenes. But what's real clear with Fannie Mae here is that Fannie Mae is an entity that appears to be sort of like a double whammy. It's it's an entity that's also being used as a front to hide and conceal ownership of of trillions of dollars worth of loans uh, that were alleged to have been sold to Fannie Mae uh, over the years running up to the crash and that have been, you know, getting foreclosed on, you know, left and right. But what you'll find is when you go to try to uh, bring a representative in from Fannie or Freddie or from MERS or whatever, it's all controlled by the servicers. And they all try to say that they have agency, right? Uh, we have agency to speak on behalf of uh, Fannie Mae or, or whatever to either appear in deposition or to answer uh, discovery demands. Um, you'll very rarely ever see an actual person from Fannie Mae present to answer the questions. Now, when when you go, it's right under your nose. You go to Fannie Mae's selling guide, and they're current one online, and it's it's accessible to everybody. Fannie Mae dot com uh, selling guide, and uh, you take a look at what they're doing here, and it, and and you walk through it word for word in their policies regarding MERS, for example, and it, it's clear what they're doing here is they're creating these policies to fly in the face and go contrary to laws that are to protect the the borrowers and the consumers. For example, you know, when a loan is sold, the ownership of a loan is sold, uh, borrowers are under the under federal law are required to be noticed of the sale and transfer of that loan within 30 days. 
And when you look and walk through this, they're doing everything in their power to to hide from the borrower the fact that Fannie Mae uh, is even involved or owns behind the curtains. So one of the things that I found interesting is I kind of broke it down, and I sh- I'll probably post this tomorrow or send it over Neil for Neil for posting, making some comments on each of these lines and their uh, website here. But certain things are very, yeah, very clear. Um, Fannie is saying, look, uh, they don't even know that they're the owner of the record of the loan unless they're told so by the servicer. In fact, they're saying, listen, if you come upon a situation where Fannie Mae is the owner of record, oh, boy, that's a problem. We've got to fix this error and immediately get MERS uh, to, to run a shield in front of this thing and get it into MERS's name because they're saying here, we don't, we don't want our name being uh, put into the title records as owner of this stuff. It's just amazing. And then they're basically admitting and saying, uh, look, if, if we own it, we have no knowledge of it unless you, unless you tell us. So and unless you notify us that we own this thing, uh, we're going to just continue business and, uh, as, as though you know, we have no knowledge of anything and we won't respond to borrowers uh, with questions uh, or answers to their questions or whatnot unless you notify that we're the owner. Now, what kind of an investor would, would – not uh, would basically say, uh, you know, I, I own it if you tell me I own it. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. But a couple other things that they admit in here, and I found it just kind of astonishing, but it doesn't surprise me, it doesn't surprise most who listen, is that they admit that the notes uh, are being delivered through the MERS system to the custodians, essentially. So what they're saying here, as you read through it, it's pretty clear, that there are no original notes. They're just transferring data, as we've said. And they're also saying that um, if it's in the MIN system, they want the MIN identification number placed on the notes. And if – I'm going to try to find the line here – it says, place the MIN on the note when the loan is registered in MERS. If the MERS registration is subsequently terminated for any reason, notify the document custodian to delete the MIN from the note. Okay, so what they're now admitting to is that they're altering the note behind the scenes. They're putting things on, taking, you know, putting the MINs on there, taking them off. Uh, they're not uh, when they produce these things in court. They're not putting specific redaction marks on there. They're just basically altering uh, image data. Okay, <laughs> and so that's that's really telling um, for for a number of reasons. But they also admit in here too, in which we've all suspected that even if MERS is not named as the original uh, mortgagee or beneficiary on the security instrument at the closing. It's, the loans are still going to be registered in the MERS system. And that's without the borrowers. I mean, they come into court and they take the argument, well, you agreed to having MERS on the contract. Uh, because it says right there, you signed right here on the bottom line, and you knew that they were going to be a nominee agent, so on and so forth. But nowhere uh, did the borrowers have any knowledge that MERS was going to be used behind the scenes to conceal the transfers in the ownership for, for loans that weren't in MERS and uh, the name MERS, but also um, I have you know tons of cases throughout the years, and they continue to come upon my desk that 
when they have a tr- when they have issues uh, with their chain of title and their documentation, which they all do, but when they're real severe, the cure all to that problem is simply they create an assignment to MERS, and then and then uh, and then suddenly it pops out the other end from MERS to someone else just to kind of get around all these uh, problems and issues. So whether your deed of trust or mortgage has MERS on it. Um, there's a good chance your, your 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 loan is already registered in MERS, and there's games being played um, behind the scenes with MERS. So, um, when you, again, all of this information is uh, is is really important uh, when you're talking about agency. Again, because they all are doing creating the documents, all the documents that are being proffered, the assignments. Everything um, are all under the guise of some sort of power of attorney and agency agreement. And now when they're all starting to admit that there is no agency and there are no formal agreements, uh, I think um, things are going to get real interesting from this point. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the powerful aspect of this is to be able to use the judicial estoppel principle to get previous hearings uh, and previous declarations and previous anything under penalty of perjury can then be introduced in a new proceeding if it involves substantially the same parties and the same subject property, the same loan, that type of thing. I mean, those are a lot of different variables, and those don't necessarily line up properly. However, particularly in California, where a lot of the non-judicial foreclosure uh, lawsuits do get recycled one way or another, sometimes they're being litigated by attorneys, sometimes in pro per, sometimes back and forth. Um, A number of times there won't be a resolution, particularly at the state level. And so in those types of cases, it would absolutely be available and it would make sense to review previous declarations and previous uh, depositions or even written discovery to see if there is some sort of declaratory statement about the lack of agency between between MERS and, uh, and as it is here, Fannie Mae. Because one of the things that's striking about all this is the MERS members, uh, that's another element to all this. And rather than talking about a normal agency relationship, oftentimes the lenders end up essentially playing themselves out or purporting to to claim to, uh, to the borrowers involved that they're somehow a MERS member. Could you tell the... Uh, listeners something about that well yeah um you know it, it just came to mind there uh one of the big admissions that fanny makes just right there on their website and i'm sure the, the, the site will probably be taken down tomorrow but uh when, when they when this stuff kind of gets exposed but um they actually admit in here that they're willing to make false claims and lie about who the investor is and, and they're saying essentially that if Fannie Mae is the investor, if we bought this loan or funded it or whatever, and we're the owner of it, um, and 
the servicer is registering it in the system before anything is delivered to Fannie Mae, they're saying then claim they want MERS to claim itself as the investor of the loan. Okay, they 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 don't even though they're the investor, they're supposedly according to their manual, they're saying don't. Don't dis- dis- uh, disclose us as the investor, even though we're that party. Just to say MERS owns it. Now, that's just astonishing uh, to see that kind of uh, an admission in 2019 when MERS has been, you know, exposed uh, uh, in, in courts and even by their own admission that they don't handle they're not an investor. They're just a database, okay? They don't handle any negotiation of notes or transfers. Or and they're basically uh, admitting that we want to continue this charade and have MERS call itself the investor when they're not. And, I mean, that that is really telling that uh, they're, they're bold enough to put this stuff – right out there uh, in, in, in the language of their transactions uh, between themselves and the servicers, um, that they're willing to go to these great depths to, uh, to keep homeowners and borrowers and the courts and everybody in the dark. And I'll tell you, I, I, you know, personally, um, there, there's, there's a smack here of, of – you know, it flies in the face of not only the consumer laws and the disclosure requirements that borrowers have a right to, but, you know, at, at some point, uh, the hands here are incredibly unclean. And, uh, it, it, and and homeowners who are forced to spend tens of thousands of dollars in litigation uh, trying to get to the bottom of, of who owns the debt uh, when these are simple questions that should be answered and you find out that these parties are intentionally and by their own business model uh, creating policies and procedures to uh, to deny access to that information uh, against the law is is just astounding and and how they continue to get away with it um, it, it, it you know again uh, I'm going to keep fighting you're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep exposing it uh, because it's just it's getting insidious by the moment. Uh, exactly, and I, you know, I will tell, you know, the listeners. I mean, I'll make a little disclaimer that I often mention on this show. Um, I mean, because Bill, those are strong words, and you know, unfortunately, I don't even necessarily disagree with you when you talk about how on that that website that Fannie Mae's put out for their product users, one might even say. Uh, they are arguably facilitating fraud. I mean, that's a you know strong, strong way of putting it. On the other hand, we're not making a legal declaration. Bill's not making a legal declaration. I'm not making a legal declaration. You know, as I've told listeners many times, and I'll tell listeners now, this is an opinion show, and we don't even necessarily uh, speak for Neil. Though clearly, Neil, Bill, and Bill and I do have a lot of commonality and how we look at these issues. Uh, but just to be clear, we're not making some legal claim or legal declaration about fraudulent liability on the part of uh, Fannie Mae. On the other hand, you know, man on the street just observing what's going on. Anybody can look at, 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 at this, uh, this link that Bill's going to be generating for the uh, listeners and others to peruse and you can see that they they are facilitating 
covering behavior, behavior that's intended to cover the tracks that ultimately can't be covered uh, in these types of cases. I mean, that's why this litigation uh, does get traction sometimes uh, because the the nefariousness on the other side is so deep and broad and tentacled sometimes that courts will seek to unwind it in some cases. Uh, all too often, what we see in both judicial and non-judicial foreclosure cases is the courts will just maybe throw up their hands and let it all pass, but more often, more often they essentially ratify the bad behavior so that it just continues, basically. Yeah, de facto uh, systems and standards, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's all the time we have for today's show. Uh, appreciate you being on with me again, uh, Bill. Thanks, Charles. And I will do another shout-out for Neil. And Godspeed, Godspeed to him regarding uh, the hurricane coming into Central Florida. Hope it has no impact or minimal impact where he is. And uh, Neil will be back on the show next Thursday unless there's an issue with the hurricane. Uh, and I will uh, be back if that becomes an issue. So uh, until next week, uh, we will be back with the listeners then. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.